have a sense of a vision of what our church is all about. So this this year I'm going I'm doing that out of the ver- first early verses of John chapter one. And so I'm going to read the the passage as I did last week. But today the focus is going to be on verses 12 and 13. And actually, I I wrote 18, um, but it's wrong. It's actually verse 17. So the focus is going to be on verses 12, 13, and 17. uh, This tremendously important passage of Scripture. I I preached to you last week how uh, we stand on the gospel. The gospel is the word about the word. The word who was with God. The word who was God. The word who became flesh so that we would have light and life through, through him, and that's Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the law, how the gospel is more than the law, and, but something that, uh, that is a very important thing I'm learning about, which may seem tremendously basic, but uh, there's a, a catch. There's a place where a lot of Christians get stuck, this question of what it means to be a child of God, and I'm going to talk about that today and um, how that's related to what we are all about at our church. So this is the passage, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that verse. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray for this message today. Lord, there's just so much in, there's so much in these verses, but, um, and it's, and it's an entryway into such a tremendous drama. But I pray that um, you'd use me today, you'd use these babbling lips to open up something that is so big that really it takes the word who is the word from God, who is God, to that you would give us of your spirit and you would take all the babbling words that I say today and make them come to life. That we can see that we need more than justification. We need more than forgiveness. 
that salvation is more than a promise of heaven, that the gospel is intended to do nothing less than to give us the heart of the Father to make us sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, I, I pray that people would know that this is we, we're, we're after nothing less than this in our church. And this is the power that you give the church by your word and by your spirit. And I pray in 2014, Lord, starting today, that this is a work, this is a work that you will empower and we will see happen in the midst of us and we will rejoice and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, three acts to my message. Act one, I'm going to call the problem of the law and the gospel. The problem of the law and the gospel. Part two, um, have you heard, every now and then some of you have heard me talk about this fancy little word, the telos of the gospel. The telos of the gospel. And part three, the heart of the father and of sonship. The heart of the father and sonship. Um, Part one, I, I like to begin the year and, and always refresh you know, the, the, the most fundamental basics of what our church stands for and what we're about. Our church is all about the gospel. And, and, to put it, and in my mind, that means the gospel is a message. It's a word about Jesus, the word about the word. And it's always all about Jesus. That's why our church is hog wild about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified for us and Thus, how, that's how we get his grace. And in these 18 verses, it's all there. It's all there in these 18 verses. Um, but today I wanted to talk about this, especially as we talk about the gospel, I want to talk about two aspects of the gospel. I want to talk, and, and it's in these part one and part two. This part one is about what I'm saying, talking about the problem of the law and the gospel. And whenever you go to church, Whenever you go to church, in, in our church, we believe that you should hear the gospel every single week. The gospel should be wo- woven into everything that we do. But um, the, the gospel is also has a certain relationship to the law. Now it says right here, this, this says here, today we're focusing on verses 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'm going to talk about that when I get to part two. But verse 17, he says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now look, um, there's, a, there's a certain problem that churches all have to rest with, there's, and there's, and I'm, which I'm calling the problem of the law and the gospel. When you go to church, the church has, is going to proclaim, part of what the church has to do is to tell you how you're supposed to be. What's right What's wrong? Be more like this. Don't be like this. This is wrong. Give this up. Change this. Repent of this. You know, confess this. This is right. Run toward this. Be like this. Be more like this. You're not being enough like this. And all this, this is, uh, this is what, the, is what, what the, the, the theologians have largely called the law. The Bible says that the law was given through Moses. Um, yes and no. In the, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong. The fact is the, Bible, the law was given at creation. The law was placed on your heart. Every human being has the law of God written on the very tablet of your heart. 
And we in our, it's just, it's just that somehow that we like to try to get away from this. I mean, almost all of you, even if you don't know exhaustively and perfectly, you know what's right and what's wrong. And the fact is, this, this what it was right and what's wrong, it's not just there, it's not some accident of natural selection. So, you know, somehow the molecules bumped up against each other and then we have these feelings about what's, what's right and what's wrong. That's not the way it happened. God created you and knitted his law because it's a reflection of his very heart and his character. And he placed that in every human being. It's part of what it means to be in the image of God. But somehow we live in this time and it's in us and we, we, we're, we're not even sure if this is really true or not. And so, but what sometimes is, it gets a lot more serious when God sends or when anyone, it just always gets a lot more serious when we actually write them down and, we, and, a, and a leader writes them down and says, hey everybody, this is the serious stuff. And that, that person in history was Moses. God placed his law on the tablet of our hearts. But then he actually sent a man, and he actually literally placed him on the tablets, and, and then it became the law, and they became proclaimed. Now look, we live in a very relativistic time. And relativism, I mean, it's, it's an idea that, on one, end, on, one, on one sense, relativism is the idea that there's no absolute rules or truths. It's all just relative. But actually, this is the way it actually plays out. No human real being truly believes in real relativism. We all believe in a law. And, and, there's no, and no, no matter where you go, human beings, all be, they all have a, the, the general sense of what's right and what's wrong. We just don't know where it comes from. And here in our culture, we think it's, well, it's relativism. And then we use science to try to think that we're going to try to answer this thing through empirical investigation, which we'll never, we'll never get there with that method. But... But this question of law, and the way it tends to play out actually in our culture is something like this. Since we're not really sure what's actually really what's right and wrong, we go, yeah, we'll just do what works. And people just go, so what works for me? Relativism actually produces a very selfish and self-centered and a cowardly people. That's, that's why everything in our society is all about how to get people, how to manipulate people. How to give us incentives, because we don't actually have enough conviction and courage to know what's right and what's wrong, what's worthy of our lives. But that's, that's what a relativistic society produces. And the more of you, as you begin to live, it's like you're finding out why everybody has to be prodded and why everybody's always got excuses and why people are always hiding. It's because this, this, this is part of the curse of a relativistic culture. That's what we're living in. But it was actually a blessing that God would send Moses. And because the people got it crystal clear, it was right there. It's written up for everybody to know, this is the law. And in our culture, when you go to church, a lot of different churches, really, they, because we live in a relativist culture, people don't even know how to live. They need to be told. And there's all, and a lot of the churches says, if you want to live a more meaningful life, if you want to get closer to God, here are, so you go to a church and they'll say, here, let me give us five tips on how to be a better father. You know, four different ways of how to take care of the poor or to be more generous. And these are things that we know that's of the law. But if you go to a church, and this is primarily all that you hear, 
This is right. This is wrong. Stop doing this. Be more like this. Try harder. And, and they may say it. They may say it in a tough way. This is wrong. And then they're more moralistic and judgmental in the way they say it. Or they may say it in a very kind of more winsome way. If you do this, it'll make your children flourish. And they'll be happier. And you'll be a better dad. And it'll all work out better. But actually, if this is all you're hearing, all you're getting from the church is law, not gospel. All you're getting is law, not gospel. And a lot of churches, unfortunately, because we're living in such a relativistic culture, and people are just, and we are so lost, this is what the, the Bible calls darkness, it actually is incredibly helpful when the church proclaims law. The people are. We as a people are so lost, it's incredible. It's actually very helpful when a church continues to prod you and then tries to winsomely proclaim law. But if that's all you got, let me, let, me, let me put this very bluntly. If all you have is law, you are going to go to hell. You will die. You, yes, your children, you may become a better father. Your children will be better off. But at the end of the day, at the end of your life, if this is all that your churches do, and if this is all that you do, you will go to hell and your children will go to hell because the law cannot save you. This is the meaning of this verse 17. The law came from Moses, but actually we needed grace and truth from someone else. That is Jesus. And our church says, yes, we will teach you the law, but actually what you really need to hear is the gospel. And let me say a couple of little things about the problem of the law. That's one problem of the law. You need to hear the law because it'll help you. And especially in a relativistic culture, we're so lost, we need, we need to hear the law. Because the law is, is, will give you the will of God. The law is the, is the passageway to the wisdom of God. There's so much lack of wisdom in our culture. So that's one. But that's part of the problem is it's not enough. You need the gospel. Now let me offer you something else about law and gospel. Um, a lot of preachers, and I will stand up and will tell you what you do wrong. Some, a number of you have said this to me, Pastor, when I listen to your sermons, there's, always, there's a part in there that I just go, oh, <laughs> that part stung. That part hurt. Um, and you know what? It should. Because this is also part of the problem of law and the gospel. The law... Part of preaching the gospel is to say the law. And I, and I say this in various different ways. The, part of the purpose of the law is to tell you the standard. And when you hear the standard, you will find out that you failed. Part of good gospel preaching is for me to speak the law and to let you feel it, that you're failing it. You're failing what God wants. You're failing God's standards. And this is part of uh, the, the, the problem is people don't want to hear this part. And so a lot of churches, they, they, they won't say this part. So that's why they say, let's give you some tips on how to be a good daddy. We won't tell you that you really suck as a daddy. <laughs> and you don't just suck as a daddy, and that's why it's not working out for your kids. You suck as a daddy, and it's actually displeasing to God. And you are sinning. Those are other words that we're going really to play. And part of sound gospel preaching, it must proclaim the law. Because unless the, go- the law is set and placed before you before God, that you 
won't know that you have a conviction. It's not just an idea in your head, oh, I'm a sinner. A conviction in your heart that you are sinning, that you are full of sin. And apart from that, then the gospel won't be much because it's the gospel that gives you the answer for the problem of your deep, deep need that you are a cosmic, on the most profound level, failing. See, this, this is part of the, the, what the law is intended to say. You're failing this. And, and our culture hates that. Oh, they don't want to hear that part. <laughs> and then they don't want to hear that because you're failing, you are sinning. Oh, there's the other word that our culture hates to hear. Sin. And, and if you are sin, and then, and then we don't really want to hear it, so I'll just, I'll just go all the way and say it. If you are failing in the law, you are sinning. And in sin you are incurring wrath of God, you will go to hell. That's part of the gospel. That's what the part of the, the gospel, the, the gospel, in order to really say the gospel, we must say this part of the law. But if this is all you have, you don't have enough. Because only the gospel can take you to Jesus. And here's, and, and let me say, teach this part of you. Let me just, give you a a quick little theology lesson here. The Bible teaches there's law and there's gospel. And and then there's two aspects, and there's one aspect of the gospel which, in a sense, is, is opposed to the law. And what that means is, it's not that the law is bad, it's that the law in and of itself is inadequate. It's just like I said to you at the beginning. If all you have is law and you're just trying to follow and do better, you won't make it. Moses didn't save anybody, let me tell you. And his law and the law that he gave couldn't save anybody. It's only the message, and it's only through the person that Jesus came and that he died the death we deserve to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins and then be embraced by God. That's the gospel. If you don't hear that that part of it, and you need to hear that part regularly, regularly, you're just going to be left with the law. Because you know why? Here's the thing. You are born with the law. It's the default. It's like the, the default software that's already inside of you. You already know, many of you, that you're failing it. And so you're, but you think the, the solution to failing the law is to try harder at the law. One aspect of preaching the gospel is that the gospel shows you that the law is inadequate. It's the law against the gospel in one sense. And every church must learn this. And in our church, I preach this regularly, the law more than the gospel. And you're hearing it in various different ways. I mean, I'm saying it in very explicit ways today. The law more than the gospel. But there's another aspect of it, which the Bible teaches, teaches both. The gospel is the fulfillment of the law. Because the law is not bad. Because it's from God. The law is the actual very character of God. It's the very heart of God. So how can the law be bad? And the law, in fact, helps us. So how can the law be bad? In one sense, it's because Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it in himself so that through him, through his atonement, he could take all those who fail it unto God. That's the gospel. 
We preach that here every week. And so this is why we're so wild about Jesus. And I know some of you are going, I already know this theology and I've heard this. You know what? You need to hear it. You need to hear it again and again and again to defeat this self-works righteousness law thing that's in your mind. And then unless you hear this, this, how the gospel is the power, and through the gospel you have Jesus, then you're you're, you're, you're going to be flubbing along in life. That's part one of my message. This is really important in our church, and we stand for this. And if we preach this, I preach this, and we stand for this, and we all believe that more than law, we need the gospel, and it's what Christ has done for us, which we could not do for ourselves, this has power. This has tremendous power to literally change people. And I'm not talking about just gradually changing. They, they sort of kind of get it, and then they work harder. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, it'll change them on the spot. Some people will hear this message, and it'll change them, I mean, like, like that. I have a friend. Um, he, I mean, he comes from a, a family where, I guess, addiction runs in the family. His father was an alcoholic. And when he was in high school, he, he started doing pot. So he became a pothead. He went to church his whole life. He tells me he barely can remember any Sundays when he never went to church. His father was like a good Baptist guy, even though he was an alcoholic. And he went to church every single Sunday. But then it wasn't until he got into um, college. I think it was in his young adulthood, just a little bit after college. I think he dropped out of college, never even made it through. He was, going, he was at this Presbyterian church. And this is not a critique of Baptist over Presbyterian because, you know, it's just, it's just about the gospel. The pastor stood up and he said, God is here. And the law stands here. And there's a huge chasm where you're over here. But only Jesus came in and died the death. And through his cross, he could take you across this chasm and bring you to God. And this brother who is a pothead, who's been going to church his whole life, in his whole life, he, he may have even heard the gospel, but he'd always been just trying harder, trying to be better, got to be a good person. Because the church is not about doing this, it's the gospel. Finally, when the pastor kind of put his arms up and did this thing, he said, and this is, what, this is the word he used, the light went on. See? The darkness. Christ was the light, came into the darkness. The light went on. And for the first time, he really got, he goes, that's how you get to God. And he believed. And that's how he was saved. And this is what we do in our church. I want to talk about this as part one. But let me get to part two. Um, as powerful as that is, unless there is a gospel which is more than law, you won't hear the gospel. You actually just don't get it. You just don't get it. <laughs> You go, oh, Jesus is a nice person, but, but, but I'm going to go home and try harder. <laughs> so many Christians do that. Okay, Jesus is good, but, then, but I'm going to go home and just try harder to be a good person. Then you don't get it. But let me talk about part two. The telos of the gospel. Telos is a, is a Greek word. It's, it's not a word that's getting used much today, which it's, just, it's actually a really helpful word. It just means the purpose ends. The purpose goal of something. What's the telos of a pen? Telos of a pen is to write. So when you're using a pen, guess what? The pen is fulfilling its telos. What's the purpose goal of the gospel? The purpose goal of the gospel is given in verse 12. 
To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the purpose goal. That's the goal, that's the telos ends of the gospel. If that's the case, that's the goal of our church. Let me put this in kind of like, kind of crass 21st century language. What's our main product? Every company's got a, a fundamental product that they're trying to get you to buy, right? And this is what they do. Google, I mean, they have all these, cra- all these products which don't really make them money, like Google Earth. You know, they came with Google. Nobody, that doesn't make them, that's not really their main product. What is their main product? It's, it's search. You go in there and you type something and boom, they give you, that's, that's what they give you. What's Microsoft's? Microsoft's is, uh, it's software. Some of you like that software. Some of you don't. I personally don't. <laughs> All right? Um, and, um, you know, what, what's, what, what's the main product of In-N-Out? It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great, you know, it's a great inexpensive hamburger. What's the main thing that we do at our church here? Here's the goal of what we do at our church here. We want people to be children of God. Not good Christians, not churchgoers, not law keepers. The goal of the church is not more people in the pews, more money, more activity, to do good works. Actually, the biggest, most fundamental goal in the church is for people, not even just to be Christians, okay? Not even to be even good Christians, to be children of God. And what is it's a, kind of, it's a strange way of putting it, isn't it? Okay, let me put it a little bit differently. You know what the world really needs? The world really needs not just good people. It's like the Bible is saying, what the world really needs, and let me put this in a really kind of stark, weird way of putting it. The world needs sons of Susan. They need daughters of John. That's what the world needs. The, the world needs a, 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 another son of Doak. What the, when the Bible says, the, what the Bible is saying is there's a person. The person, we have a name for this person. The people who really know this person have a name for him. They call him Father. That's his name. His title is God. <laughs> Job title, God Almighty, <laughs> creator of the universe. But his name is Father. Actually, the Old Testament gives another name, too. His name is Yahweh. But actually, what the, what the world needs, there's a, there's a, there's a big difference between your, your, your neighbor's kids who are good kids and that kid over there who's the son of that, 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 that person. There's a big difference. You understand that difference? Um, I, I have a friend of mine from my old church in Philadelphia. When he first started... Um, coming into, at that time, I was not the pastor, I was the, but I was the leader of the small group, the community group leader. And it's funny how uh, people kind of check you out. If you're a leader, they're always checking you out. <laughs> um, and it was, it was it, you know, early on, and we're starting to become, he's a, he's, a, he's a dear friend of mine now, but early on, he was, we were talking about, he was talking about my son. He was like, Hudson, he's like, you know, he doesn't look like you, you've got the curly hair, and, and um, but, oh, he's definitely your son. He says, he's definitely your son. There's something about him. He's like, he's like you know, like, I, I get you. Like, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of you in, in him. He's definitely your son. You know what the world needs? 
that when they meet people who are the Christians, they meet people who are not Christians, who go to church, and who are good and try to be good Christians, they they can recognize that person is God's kid. And what's the difference? A son doesn't just obey rules. Doesn't just what he's supposed to do what he's supposed to do. It doesn't just have habits of like these are all the right things I'm supposed to do. And doesn't doesn't constantly go, I, I should try better in this thing. A son runs to his father's heart. A son obeys from his heart to his father's heart. That's the difference between children and then just a good kid across the street. <laughs> There's a good kid across the street. You can tell him, hey, hey, you should try, hey, you, you should uh, do better in school. Hey, neighbor's kid, be a good kid in school, okay? That's the law. Your son is different. Your daughter is different. That's what we're really trying to get at in this church. And, and the reason I want to I talk about this today, you know, there, there's been an, I've been, um, I was called to ministry in this church, and then you know the Lord called me away, and then I've been back as the pastor. I've been back as your pastor. In a few weeks, it'll be five years. And there's been a certain arc in my preaching, and one of the things I've learned as I've been pastoring here. When I first came to the church, I preached part one of my message. The gospel is not law. The gospel is more than law. You need a justification, which is won by Jesus. You need something that Jesus did for you, which you could not do. It's not even if you tried even harder. I've preached that message, and I've found, and we have experienced, it has power. I mean, people change when they hear that thing. It's such a wild thing. And it's weird. Some of them who've never been to church, they change. And then some of them who've been in church for a long time, they've heard, they think they've heard this message a thousand times, and then they change. But the other thing I've found is that, and, and I think it may have something to do with Asian Americans, maybe a lot of Asian American Christians, they don't get this daddy thing. Maybe it's because we have daddy issues. They don't get this question of what it means to be a child of God. A lot of you, and when I say you, I'm not just talking about you like I'm accusing you. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the general you, which is me too. We get stuck. We know that we've been forgiven by Jesus. We know that the gospel is more than law. But somehow, this heart to run joyfully, willingly, gladly, to not kind of like half-ass kind of obey, but you want to obey to the 100 and 110% if there is such a thing, because you want to get to the bottom heart of your father. This is like stuck there. We don't get that part. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because... We didn't like our dads because we don't even know what it's like to love our dads. We don't even know what it's like to want to obey our fathers because we never liked his, we didn't like his heart. And so now when God says, you're my child and I'm your dad, that's like, it's like yeah, 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 yeah. It's, you've heard this. Some of you have heard this since you were three years old. You grew up in the church. You heard this since you were three years old. Isn't this like, it's not even kindergarten. It's not even kindergarten Christianity. This is like pre-kindergarten Christianity, pastor. But I have found out that most of us are stuck. We don't even get pre-kindergarten Christianity. This is the most profound thing. This is the goal of the gospel, and we're stuck. 
We're not getting there. I'll tell you a story. Um, this week, um, and then you guys know that I'm homeschooling my daughter for sixth grade. And, uh, and this week on Monday was not a fun day. So she had two weeks off, and school starts. So school means for her that she has to get up. So this is supposed to be her She has to get up. She does her quiet time. She eats her breakfast. She does all herself. I don't do it. I don't get She's supposed to do all that herself. And then she immediately goes, does her grammar part. I mean, she, she has things she has to do. She has plenty to do. She has a lot of work to do. I'm not a, not a fun teacher, okay? I'm most certainly not a fun teacher, okay? She has a lot of work to do. But I go looking for her on Monday morning. Laura, where are you? And usually she's like right there in the living room, you know, working on her work. Or, and, but she wasn't there. And that usually means she's in her bedroom. And if she's in her bedroom, a lot of times that means she's hiding. So I go into her bedroom. She's sitting there. She has her science lab materials out in front of her, and she's crying. I'm like, why are you crying? I'm like, don't talk like that. I mean, I'm getting annoyed. Don't, I can't understand you. Talk clearly. And she goes, because you will be mad. Because this is my science lab, and I didn't do it. Now, here's the back story. She gets a lot of work. I don't say, from this time to this time, you do this work. And from this time to this time, I don't do this for her. I, she has a lot of work, and then I just say, go do it. Because part of my goal this year is for her to manage her time, for her to figure out what's important, for her to figure out for her how to do the work according to her pace in the way that works for her. I mean, it's different. It's different than it is for her brother. I, I'm not going to impose a certain time. So I want her to figure that out. Right? So, but here's what my daughter is like. Okay? And this is why I tell you this story. What my daughter thinks being a good student is, is to do all the work and get all the answers right. That's what she thinks it is. Do all the work, get all the answers right. She doesn't understand that, and, and this is, you know, my daughter is a, she's a person who wants to please her authority. This is how she feels like, I'm, I'm being good. I want to be a good child, and I'm being good, I'm going to be a good child by pleasing my authority. And when, so homeschooling for her is really hard, because it's one thing to go please your teacher, but what if your teacher is your dad? That like takes this need for people pleasing and just it just intensifies it to this crazy place. So when your dad is your teacher and says you're doing this wrong, you know, there's a lot of tears. But actually, she she gets a she does really the work is almost almost all her answers are right. I mean, it's, it's just they're very different from Hudson last year. Hudson would do his work. He would get 30 out of 35 right. He would get two of them wrong. I'm thinking like, oh, you didn't actually understand that problem. That's understandable. You'll get that wrong. And then he would get three of them wrong from just pure laziness because he was just cutting corners and he didn't care. That would drive me crazy. <laughs> and I would go, this is lazy. I'm like, this would drive me crazy. But my daughter, it's a totally different issue. From Laura, this is the issue. She has to get every, all 35 right. So hence, she is slow and meticulous. So she has a lot of work to do. She can't get it all done. And I tell her, it's okay, get it wrong. Do it faster. Because the point is not getting them all right. 
It's learning the material. And so, but no, she just can't do it that way. I have to please, and I have to get it all right. So she has to get, she gets, I mean, literally, she regularly gets 34 out of 35 right, if not 35 out of 35, but she has to do it. So what she does is, then her work, so uh, an assignment that I think should take 45 minutes takes her an hour and fit, an hour and 10. But then she gets 34 out of 35. So then what happens is all the work starts getting backed up throughout the week. And then I tell her, it's, you know what, if you can't get it all done by Friday, you know what that means? Saturday, Saturday school. Saturday school. So that's a school day for you. So you didn't, you didn't get the math done, so she didn't have her math done. She didn't have two of her science labs done. And at the, we're talking about before breaks. And she, just, and she kept telling me, don't worry, Dad. It'll get done. Don't worry, Dad. It'll get done. She kept saying this to me. And I was like saying, okay, okay, okay. So she said this to me. I don't know how many times. And so then we went into vacation. So if she doesn't get it all done, Saturday is a school day. And then I told her, you know, Sunday is, you know, that's the Lord's day. So, you know, you know there's no school on that day. But if, if it's not all done on Saturday, guess what? Monday is not vacation for you. Your brother and sister may be on vacation, but you're not on vacation. you you got school. <laughs> So she said, okay. She looked at me multiple times and completely nodded her head. Don't worry about it, Dad. For two weeks, Christmas break, I'm having a great old time playing with my toys and vacation and playing with my friend, you know, with my brother and sister and going to birthday parties and all this stuff. And then Monday morning rolls around. You will be mad at me because I didn't do my work. And I looked, as soon as she said that, I was looking at her, and I was like, okay, don't say anything now. I just went, okay, get to work, and then I took a shower. Because, like, if I started talking to her at that very moment, I would start sinning. (laughs) Okay. So in the shower, I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And and she was right. Actually, she was wrong. I wasn't mad. I was furious. I mean, I was furious. I was about as mad as I ever get. So I was thinking, so you basically lied to my face for two weeks, pretended like this thing didn't exist for two weeks. I, I mean, I don't think she's devious enough to actually like think, I'm going to cry crocodile tears on Monday morning and I'll get, I don't think she's actually not, she's not that devious. Okay? She actually was just thinking, I just, I'm not going to do it. And I'm just going to just put it off, and then Monday I'll do it. But what she doesn't understand is I don't care about, I actually don't even really quite care about the work. What I care about her, so, so then after I got out of the shower, then I, I let her have it. <laughs> By the way, I don't think I was sinning. I think she needed this. I let her have it. I screamed at the top of my lung. I'm sure the neighbors heard. <laughs> If they were home, it's Monday morning, so they might not be home. I was like, it's good they're not home because some of them might call the cops, okay? But I was screaming. And I was like, I am furious because you know what this means? That means every single day, I always have to worry, is she going to do it? Is she going to do it? Do I have to ride her, ride her, ride her to do it? Is she going to get the work done? That means for her, Every single piece of work is a piece of legalism. You get it? 
It's a law. I have to do this thing, and then if I do this thing, then, I, I'm, then I'm a good student. And, I, and it's like, she doesn't understand that what I want from her is to want to learn. Learn it, and want to learn it. And then have a heart to drive to want to learn and go figure out what it takes to go learn. That's what I want. But you know what? She just doesn't get that. She thinks, if I do all the readings, and if I do the homework, and if I get all the problems right, then I'm good. That's actually, that's exactly the thing that makes me furious. That's the thing, this is the conversation we've been having for the whole dang semester. And now, right smack in the middle of the year, she is failing spectacularly at the thing that her daddy's heart is really at. And so I'm screaming at her, you think I care what metamorphic rock is? Because that's what the lab was about. <laughs> it's like, who cares a crap about what metamorphic rock is? Who the heck cares? You can go read in the book and boom, you'll know it. Who cares? I'm like, I don't care. But like, what I care about is you said you go learn it and then you go do it. I don't want, because like, you know what, I, what daddy hates is every day I have to think up and I have to just, just try to manage and try to get you to do stuff. Just try to get you to do stuff. And I'll just, just share this with you. Just, just as a man, as a pastor, as a leader, I hate micromanaging. I mean, I don't kind of like, dislike micromanaging. I hate micromanaging. <laughs> um, this idea that this person is supposed to do this thing and then I have to go ride them. Go, did you do it? Did you go do it? Did you go do it? Did you do it right on time? Did you go do this? And did you do a good job on it? Did you try harder? Did you try to get, figure out the spirit? I hate that. And, 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 and sometimes you kind of have to push people to get them to do just the minimum. But if you have to do that all the time, and if this is what, as a pastor, one of the reasons why I don't do that, because if this is the way I, I can get you to do stuff and get you to change, if this is the only way I can get you to obey, then all we are, we're just legalists. That's all we are. That's the problem with my daughter. She thinks that being a good daughter is legalism. Being a really good legalist. <laughs> Doing the letter of the law of what is being told to you. But really, the homework and getting the questions right, that's just the mechanics. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying the words, going to communicate. That's just the mechanics. That's just the outward mechanics. But actually, there's a person whose name is Father, who has a heart. And when you go to that heart, say, what is in your heart? I want to get that. I'm going to obey the mechanics because I'm going to obey the heart. That is what it means to be a child of God. So I completely, I just blew up at her. She cried, she cried, cried, cried. It was not fun. And then I said, okay, go to work. And then I, and then I left because I had to cool off. And then over lunch, and then by lunch, she seemed to be okay. You know, back to the, the uh, Laura. And then we're at lunch, and then I leaned over to her. I looked her straight in the face, and I said, you know, Daddy got really upset angry. Do you think it's that when daddy is angry, it's because he hates you? And then she nodded her head. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not hatred. I get angry because I love you. 
and she got this confused look on her face. I said, if I really hate you, I wouldn't care. If I really hate you, I wouldn't care. But because I care so much, I have to yell and scream so you can get this thing, this so important thing that's in my heart, so you can have this. And the, I, I got this, and then she got this look on her face that made, gave me this little hope that maybe for the first time she kind of got it. <laughs> maybe for the first time she kind of got it. I'm like, oh, if she gets it, this will be like make all of homeschooling worth it. <laughs> and that leads me to part three of my message. This is what we're doing at this church. I preach to you the gospel is not the law. It's more than the law. It's better than the law. The gospel always takes you to the absolute super sufficiency of Jesus Christ. But here, here it's in this, let me show you to you in this passage. Here's the secret of it. It says in verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I, I know this, you're like, Okay, that's a, okay. Well, that means the Jews rejected him. Actually, let me tell you something. That means they crucified him. They crucified him, according to the Bible, because it was God's will. The Father chose to send His Son, so that His people would not receive Him reject him and crucify him. Look, I had to get angry and scream and yell my head off so that this thing that just so such a treasure in my heart can go into my daughter's heart. The father will go crazy and do anything so that we can get him. And what did he do? He blew up and poured all his anger and his wrath. Except better than, thankfully, a lot better than me as a daddy, he poured it on his son. So that when you come to church, you can sit here, and hopefully when the pastor's talking, blah, 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 here's what you'll get. You'll get something like this. Your daddy looked straight you in the face and said, you get it? I'll do anything. You're totally safe. I want I wanted Laura to I wanted Laura to see me blow up so that afterwards she'll know I'm super passionate. But she's totally safe. And I love you everything. And the Lord told his son, and his son said yes. He blew up on his son so that when you're sitting here in church, just like I said to my daughter, you're totally safe. God blew up everything on his son so you're totally safe and he will love you and love you and love you. And then you would respond by running to his heart. That's what the church is about. I want you to go to community group and run to your father's heart. I want you to open up your Bible. I want you to open up your Bible and do the quiet time or whatever. Download the, the doc <laughs> that we upload on the website. Do your quiet time. 
don't do question you know, 1 through 35, have to get the quiz correct and get an A. Open up the quiet time. Go to your father's heart. You're totally safe. He loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, make us better than law keepers. Make us not churchgoers. Make us not even just good people or even good Christians. Make us your children. Make us children from the heart, not just in status, but from the mind and from the heart. May we run to you. Lord, you, you, I am convinced, Lord, that you made the universe and you formed galaxies upon galaxies so that then we can say, take the biggest thing there is, and that's not bigger than God's love. <laughs> we can look at all the ocean, and if our heart is like a cup, there can be an ocean that's bigger than all of the galaxies put together, and that would not be bigger than your love as you pour it into the cup of our hearts. That's why Jesus came. That is the light that penetrates into the darkness. It penetrates into the darkness of our righteousness and of our law-keeping. It penetrates into the darkness of our sins and our righteousness. So that we stop worrying about sins and righteousness, we just run to your heart. We run to your heart. Help us to get your heart, Father. Dad, Abba. May we love you. May we not just be fearful of you. May we not think that you're just our principal or the judge or the teacher, that you are our father, our dad. May we love you and run to you and want to obey you with a 100%, 200% overflowing heart to run to you. We pray, Lord, you would make New Hope Church filled with sons and daughters. And when the Lord looks into this place, what a weird set of people. They must be God's children. They must really be God's children. That we would obey you from the heart as only Jesus can do. As only by the power of Jesus can there be. Would you give us the heart of Jesus so we could run to your heart, Father. Would you do this in 2014? 2014, would you make this a church full of sons and daughters? We rejoice in you. It's a magnificent community, a heavenly family, because we love our dad. In Jesus' name.